0: Well, welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast. I, Toby Hadoke have been challenged to watch a story by a friend of mine. They've chosen their favourite things about each episode, so I have to commentate along and try to guess what those favourite things might be.
1: Hello Toby. As requested, here are five things that I like about Remembrance of the Daleks from 1988.
0: Hello there, everybody. It's time for the final episode of Remembrance of the Daleks for Happy Times and Places. Uh, The first voice you heard there was Charles Norton, producer extraordinaire of uh, Doctor Who animations, etc. And uh, in fact, I was talking to Charles the day that I recorded this, just by coincidence, I always know when he calls me because my phone doesn't recognise his number. I think I mentioned that. Um, so, yeah, it's so either him or somebody trying to sell me timeshares or whatever. Um, and uh, But he was telling me about the Emitron cameras that were used by the BBC at Alexandra Palace uh, and telling me all sorts of stuff I didn't know about them and, indeed, about the cameras that followed and, uh, uh, and some of the Doctor Whos that they worked on and some interesting... Camera facts, he's that kind of guy. He's the guy you go to for that stuff, which I never remember either. So, you know, I have to record it and write it down and, uh, you know, refer to notes and stuff because I think my head doesn't remember lots of stuff now. And I think it's always been primed to remember the stuff that really interests me, you know, the stuff about the actors or the personnel or whatever. And uh, I think my brain is resigned to the fact that when it hears certain things, it just goes, yeah, you won't remember this. Um, just <laughs> uh, you know you, you, you need to either make a note of this or uh I, yeah is, as I did with the conversation today record it uh, and refer to it later but that's fine um I'm nearly 50 and there's a lot of there are a lot of things in my mental storehouse um I think uh, I think I can accept that not everything's gonna stick there these days it is rather sad though because it's one of the few talents i have is uh, is remembering things and uh, i'm not as good at remembering things as once i was but um that's life tapestry life's rich tapestry isn't it what happens is it, it eventually frays all the threads fall out and you're just left with a Ho- uh, holy gauze. Anyway, let's let's not uh, continue with metaphors for my mental disintegration. Let us get to the last episode of this, which I have thoroughly enjoyed so far. I hope you have. It's a bit of a cliche that Remembrance of the Daleks is uh, is an enjoyable story. But for me, it's been a journey because I used to be very, very cross with it. Partially because I was sort of cross with this era because it, was, it coincided with the age when I was a cross person, you know, a cross young thing who... You know, wanted everything to be like it was in the days. To 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 coin a phrase, uh, I never got to see the old days, but I know it's not as good now as it used to be. Um, but also the fact that this was obviously the most popular of the season, and I was a great fan and still am of Greatest Show in the Galaxy. So I, so almost this was the, you know, this was the one risk to Greatest Show because nobody really liked Happiness Patrol or Silver Nemesis anyway. Um, at the at the time, uh and uh, so i needed to i need to be cross with remembrance of the daleks um because that was the one that uh, uh, you know would steal votes and some imaginary poll in my head from uh, from greater show which i adored and as i said I still i still do like um uh but you know um that's you know that's a silly way to be or it was no it's not it's just my way to be it was my way of negotiating through uh the the territory of being a a furious teenage Doctor Who fan. But um, I think, you know, now... God, now it's older, isn't it? Is it older than an unearthly child? What are we in now? Is it... Oh, well, I'm not even going to even do the maths. It's around that, isn't it? It's a, older now. Yeah, it is. It's older now. Gosh, it's older now than an unearthly child was when this was on. And when this was on, unearthly child was in the dark. Old days of fusty black and white, and it was paraded, but you know it was inhabited by ghosts, uh, uh, you know, uh, long, long dead people, and all of that. Sorry, my phone is going crazy. Um, that's my 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 text message is the is the Tardis noise. Um, but now I think of you know, remembrance of the Daleks is is new. It's uh, and and actually. You know, it is, it is largely populated by, by the living. Um, and, you know, the, the people in it are, you know, many still working and still going strong and uh, hopefully with us for a long time yet to come. So, uh, but anyway, not they're not all still with us. And uh, uh, I'm sure during this commentary, uh, some of my words will be a remembrance for those that are not. So without further ado, let us press play on episode four of Remembrance of the Daleks in three, two, one. Uh, well, what a transformation. Um, you know, I genuinely think this is an excellent slice of Doctor Who, and I spent an awful lot of time getting cross with it uh, on, on principle, I think, rather than... Well, I think there is something that one has to acknowledge and i don't know if it's just me because i see other people doing things and i judge them uh, on uh, i i judge them against my own poor standards if you like so you know i i think part of my reason for being crossed with this was because everybody else loved it. So I wanted to be the things that I thought were flawed about it, obviously the repetition of exterminate and the fact that um, this doesn't actually tie in with Doctor Who continuity. And if you're going to be so tied up with, you know, the first episode, for example, well, one, get the book cover right and get the spelling of Foreman right. But that's that's minor. But but two, uh, he's, you know, he's planning a he's he's planning a fate for his arch enemies who he actually doesn't. Meet for another five weeks in terms of the you know what the, what this is tying into, um, but that's all. I mean, that's all. You know, that's. I love the Deadly Assassin. I don't mind its contradictions to the past. Um, you kind of live with it, you know, uh, and it's it's an excellent production and and it's ex- an exciting story. But I think part of me and this this spaceship landing is fantastic, and I love the way that the. Uh, uh, you know you know those those turret bits land on where the oil slicks are and you go oh yeah of course um uh, and you know this is all practical effects and i love that and there's something there is something more sort of solid and uh, uh sort of pleasingly there about uh, uh you know a uh, a spaceship made out of skips than one out of um you know computerized pencil flourishings look at it it's there glorious um uh, but there was but part of me that liked the fact or cast myself as the hero in my own narrative that yeah all the obvious people they they choose the obvious favorite one which is the daleky one with all the ties to the olden days whereas i like the brave new world of the Psychic surface with its, you know, that, that nobody talks about enough uh, because they can't see that it's brilliant and blah blah. And it's, that, you know, none of that's about enjoyment, is it? It's all about how one feels. One wants to cast oneself. Now, I don't know if that's just me, but it's, it's like I like the idea that I support the underdog. If there's, you know, a, 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 a famous football team playing a non-league football team, I'll always go for the non-league football team. I, I like, I like feeling that I'm somebody that doesn't follow the crowd or that, that, as I say, that supports the less obvious or the underdog. Uh, but that that can become quite self-satisfied if you're not careful. Um, that's tip-tipping there, helping to arrest Mike Smith. We'll talk about him later. Um, I like that scene between him and Ace, by the way, and Sophie Aldred does it very well. I love this. Uh, there's an explosion here, isn't there, where the Dalek gets sort of hit. Um, and seeing as we're quite used to... Um, dalek shooting at each other and missing but that's a nice little hit on the walls there and you can't see they're not it's not like they're bang next to each other like they are in revelation of the daleks but that's fantastic i love i love all of these explosions i'm sometimes i'm yeah that bit where it sort of hits him and, and the other two retreat and then the, the gunfire into the camera this is all excellent dalek direction i have to say for all the you know the the subtext about the evils of racism and uh, all the lovely links to the past there's something about <laughs> blowing loads of daleks to bits that is extraordinarily satisfying and the action sequences for for doctor who are very very well done here but but back to that um um oh special weapons dalek now there'd been talk of this and i love the fact that it has oil dripping from it i that you feel, you kind of feel that Daleks maybe need a bit more of of, of that of the the kind of mechanics um I'm not sure when I interviewed S- Stephen Mansfield and Sue Moore, they were a bit disparaging of the special weapons Dalek uh for who's round um and uh and I think it's and I love the fact that it just sort of it, it trundles out and just goes kaboom um and and it and it sort of you know, it makes sense with what we already have of the Daleks. It fits aesthetically and in terms of what we might think Daleks might do. You know, if they can have an extension to their sucker that welds, you know, that welds a door open as they, uh, uh, you know, cuts a door open um, as they do in the very first story. Why would they not have uh, just a special bazooka Dalek, which I rather love? Um, Sylv- Sylvester McCoy's Doctor is absolutely one you can see in. Uh, it's not abseiling, but whatever that whatever that is sliding down the wire uh, to get into the into the Dalek ship. Uh, this is this is essence of Doctor Number Seven, uh, and he does it very well. That sort of, uh, I, although I think it was a stunt double doing the actual thing, but the, the it doesn't matter. It's his his uh, his uh, his you know his his leg legs are Kimbo, you know, sort of uh, f- physical. Um, sort of slightly f- comically physical uh scrambling about the place to get things done is uh is, is 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 beautifully seventh doctor and that sort of that that sort of madcap um tumbling that he does is, is very seventh doctor tip tipping actually gets lying here doesn't he come off it sarge or something um tip ticket tip tipping sadly died in a in a stunt um uh, you know not not too long after this, but he was... Uh, obviously, he was always a noticeable stuntman because he's called Tip-Tipping. I think he was really called Tim, uh, but died on, a, on an episode of Dial 999 when his... Uh, I think his chute failed to open. Um, but, yeah, uh, he, he, you know, his stunts on this period of Doctor Who are excellent. Um, and uh, he was an extra old Marine, I think, but, yeah. I'd seen him do... And he's in Aliens. He's Trooper Crow in Aliens. I used to, I used to know... Uh, all of the tr- different troopers in Aliens, um, and because it takes a while, you have to watch it a few times to work out which one. To, but he does get a shot when they're when they're uh, waking up from cryosleep, and he gets killed by sort of being flung through the air and smacked against the wall. It's not the it's not the best of, but yeah, he's one of the. He's not he's not Sorry, I've got a whole thing about the troopers in Aliens. I don't know why. This is all fun. Uh, well done, Alison, for jumping in. The light coming up there is nice. This piece of incidental music is very good. It's sort of like. Um. You know, uh, there's a, there's, an, there's an eerie quiet, and Mike's on the run. Uh, he's he's such a he's such a great screen presence, Dursley McKendon. Uh Um, and of course, for those who've been sleeping for the past couple of years, parts of his life were, uh, you know, inspired the storytelling of Olyan Alexander's character in, um. It's a sin. The Russell T. Davis series. He he did a Twix a Twix advert at around this time as well. And there's a film. Is it Just Ask Diamond that I think is directed by Mark Greenstreet, or Mark Greenstreet's involved? Um, that is directed to uh, that is dedicated to Dursley McClendon. I can't, I can't do quite like this little bit of business with Sylvester with the uh, with uh, with the uh, with the umbrella, which I don't like particularly. But the um, the umbrella. Uh, uh, stuck in the door it's sort of got, just got a nice little bit of business um, but um, yes um, I was watching George Sewell in Tinker Tailor Soldier just by the other day um, the time controller has been deactivated um, um, I'm sure I'm sure somebody I was watching this didn't like the lines nothing so mundane either anyway listen that she's got a great waspish look about her. Um uh, oh he gets another line here, Sergeant Smith. Um uh but um and yeah, that's that the Sylvester looking behind his ear and going, Yeah, I can diagnose by doing that. I'm Doctor Who, why not? Um Um so listen, listen. Uh, I want to talk about this this um thing about you know l- yes liking the image one has of oneself of going against the grain oh but there's another brilliant explosion that's the one that set off all the fire alarms in london isn't it this is like doctor Who as an action movie and considering um that you know that the, the the state that the show had been in production wise the year before which you know even objectify even if you like the tone and sort of um crazy comic capers of uh, season 24 um, I, I I I wish George Sewell had done more in this. I didn't know George Sewell particularly well at this point, and I've since discovered loads of old uh, telly, and he's magnificent in all of it, and he's a proper, you know, he's uh, he's a, he's one of the proper early naturalistic uh, players. Um, so uh, we're lucky to get him in 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 a part that doesn't get an awful lot to do, but. Glad that George Sewell uh, was one of the notches on Doctor Who, the TV program's bedposts. Um, but listen. I, I do, because I find myself doing it. It's a ridiculous way to behave. But I find myself doing it sometimes if somebody puts an opinion out I don't like. I sort of think, well, you're just doing that because it makes you feel good. So, so for example, if somebody goes, you know, here's a list of my favourite stories. And they'll go, you know, my favourite William Hartnell story is whatever. You know, something, obviously, a Dalek invasion of Earth. Uh, my favourite Patrick Troughton story is the Skyray commercial. Because there are, I mean, I'm exaggerating slightly, but there are people that will... You know, that we'll choose a really odd, you know, a, a slightly sort of igno- interregnomy story because um, there's been a few of those in later in the series go, that's my favourite story. I go, if it's five minutes, I'm not sure it could be a story. But it doesn't... I mean, why do I care? Why do... This... And I, but I do sort of go, I think you're just trying to get some attention there. What, somebody on the World Wide Web or on a forum, uh, you know, on, on, on Twitter, where it's all about getting attention for your own opinions. Somebody's trying to get attention, Toby. Yes, of course they are. And actually what they're doing is they're using a method that you used internally back in the day in order to make yourself feel good. So um, physician, heal thyself. So there we go. But I, you know, as I say, I was cross with this story but it was partially because oh there's no that's interesting there's no shadow there whereas they did take the trouble to put shadow on it elsewhere um and I think I've got a feeling George Sewell dies with his eyes open, which I always think is a is slightly more disconcerting than your, than your classic eyes closed death. So that's uh, a yeah, screen acting 101 there. If you want people to remember your death, you keep your eyes open. It's horrible. Uh, so well done, George. This final shot in Doctor Who uh, is uh, he, he goes out with a with a bang. Um, uh these two have such a great rapport, and I, I don't. I, as I said, I don't really like the umbrella, but he doesn't half go for it. So if, if I can use it to close a door, I will. I mean, just, use it to cup his balls. I mean, any, anything. <laughs> um, I don't know where that came from. Um, uh, so, um, and these two are good. You get you. You think that you think that these two know each other. Um, you know, they have, they have nice little bits of banter between them, um, seeing as they don't get an awful lot to do, I think Pamela Salem is utter class, she's a, she's class in a cashmere, class in cashmere, class in a cardigan, uh... Is uh, that's you know it's the the, the the effort and and I do I, there's something about every time somebody walks past the TARDIS in this there's that brilliant bit in episode one isn't there when Mike goes hey, au you from somewhere else and they walk past the TARDIS I love the aesthetic of that this is great that's a lovely shot I mean obviously the C that's not practical we've got a bit of CSO but but I like the framing of the sky and Ace's face it's good Skipping School Girl with that excellent piece of sort of you know, nursery rhyme type sc- schoolyard singing music that because we know the context is a bit more scary than that is classic Doctor Who because you've got the childish thing that we know is actually menacing, um, but because it's made out of recognizable things, the image of a schoolgirl, that you know, that that nursery rhyme type playground sc- uh, type music pop it's sort of pop goes the weasel, half a pound, up tuppany rice, isn't it? Um, that's a great shot as well of the ship going into the uh into the not the airlock but into the into the the opening of the spaceship um andrew morgan take a bow because this is a really this is a really superior production at a time when doctor who had a reputation for being sort of tatty and embarrassing they've really made an effort to make this uh uh, uh, an a-list production, and I love the fact that the telly is in black and white. That's a nice little touch back to, uh, you know, obviously how Doctor Who had been watched back in the day. That this, that this echoes, and this elect, uh, uh, this does. Uh, uh, oh, um, I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not, some, I'm not wild about. Sylvester McCoy's sort of over renunciation of some of that stuff. I I know what he's aiming for when he does it, but it do, it doesn't quite uh, do it for me. But I think that's that's just a matter of taste, um, because he's not he's not like Tom Baker um, or Patrick Chan. You know, he's not a he's he's not a. I mean, he has done Shakespeare, but largely you know Shakespeare clowns. But he's not a sort of sonorous classical actor, um, who, who's who's. Um, enunciation is perhaps his strongest point you don't come to him for uh, sort of resonant line readings in fact you know you know I, th- I I think he's one of those actors for my limited experience but for my observation who probably gives you a different line reading pretty much on every take because he hasn't necessarily he's not he's not as technical vocally in that sense but what instead you get is you get a surprising reading or a, a, a a, a feeling of slightly more sort of spontaneity, which has its own advantages and charms. It's it's less to my taste than somebody sounding sonorous and soulful and uh, and uh, classical and, uh, um, uh, and 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 perhaps you know pin sharp comic timing sylvester mccoy's comic timing is slightly different again it's a bit more chaotic and spontaneous and i think sometimes it hits and sometimes it it slightly misses but that's that's not to criticize that it's a it's a different he's he's obviously a very gifted clown uh but um yeah it's it's a different. it's different styles of performing isn't it uh terry Malloy as davros uh looking great i love the uh I love the misdirect of the Emperor Dalek. I mean, there was there was a I think there was a feeling at the time. Could we have a Dalek story without Davros? Uh, because because Davros coming back in Genesis had been uh, in in Destiny had been oh my god that's so amazing because Davros at that point had only been in one Doctor Who story. He, he'd been in he'd been in Genesis and that was set in the past and so he, he dies so. You know his his role in that story was to you know to explain the creation of the Daleks and then sort of vanish. But he's such a fantastic character. Unlimited rice pudding. Great, great, lovely line. Uh, and and Terry Malloy actually sets up with his sort of ranting. He gives something to for Sylvester McCoy to purchase on to then do his mockery of that. Uh, and, and it's and it's great. Um, it's a it's a great confrontation between you know what davros does and what he is and the doctor uh, and and what's lovely again is that is that the doctor is fighting fire with fire he's ranting back at davros but actually as he covers the mic and whispers to the other guys he's he's getting a rise out of uh, davros uh, so he's he's actually using davros's weaponry against himself and it's lovely it's a lovely contrast and it's a lovely uh, illustration of 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 you know the doctor using guile, where Davros uses, uh, you know, his his uh, his his insane, single-minded zealousness, zealotry, um, uh, and Terry Malloy's excellent. And I love those black lips uh, that that are sort of that are glistening with viscous uh, moisture. Um, I mean, look, he's going to get he's going to get so angry in a minute. He might open his eyes. Oh, no, (laughs) because he hasn't got any. Anyway, uh, (laughs) don't don't get me started on that. Um, uh, (laughs) uh, Now, this was this is big news. He's just vaporized Scarrow. So, I mean, I think that's quite a big deal. Um, I mean, it's it's destroying a planet i think has consequences whether the thals are there or not and, and I'm, I'm sure the the subtext of this is that the thals aren't there because the doctor wouldn't destroy a planet that uh, had you know intelligent inhabitants on it but it's bad news for the magnadons isn't it it's bad news for those lovely little flowers like what susan had um uh sylvester mccoy does that very very well i think um uh I, I, I love the sort of um, sort of no-nonsense way that Tavros just f's off. <laughs> um, but that's, yeah, we don't really talk about the destruction of uh, Scarrow much, but it feels like the series going, right, let's do something to, to shake this up a bit. Um, when, you know, Returns to Scarrow had become, I mean, it already happened twice but they'd certainly become the norm um davros coming into the show had become the norm so actually they reserve him to episode four it, it's a show i like the way sylvester McCoy puts his hat on as well um it, it 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 feels like the show you know at this at this stage you know towards the end of its life is conscious of where it might just risk getting into a rut and it tries to shake itself up a bit um uh and I think that's to the credit of everyone involved, even though the destruction of Scaro does seem a bit extreme, <laughs> a bit extreme to me. <laughs> uh, and this is, of course, Mike's death, isn't it? This is uh, when we think, and 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 it's 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 so powerful that uh, those, that laser that it it, it knocks his uh, th- his stairs about two feet back. But it's a great it's a great stunt. Uh, uh, you know, a very a very elegant. Uh, an effective way of you know showing the power of what's been done to him, but I think you're still quite surprised that he's he's dead, but he is dead because I think i watching this. We're going well, has, has she killed him? And you think well, that's that killed Ratcliffe. So, but you can't quite believe it because it's he doesn't get to redeem himself. He doesn't sacrifice himself. He's you know he's still doing his his baddie business and I think that's quite brave because I think the whole Mike storyline is excellent because and the casting is excellent because Dursley McClendon is very good he looks like a hero he's absolutely beautiful um he's rugged he carries himself like a hero he's he, he speaks and conducts himself like a matinee idol and he's a fascist he's a dreary little racist um and for whatever you know he says or you know quite reasonably tries to uh justify his prejudice and the mirror breaking lovely little touches like that i love her scowling little look that she gives i think she's brilliant um and i think this is brave as well we've kind of had the big explosion earlier in the episode we've just had the spaceship blow up you go well what can we get get another bazooka and i think that was originally the intention wasn't it that the doctor was going to get a bazooka uh and again i think it's look and his facial acting and that sort of Mysterious kind of shroud of the millennia goes over his eyes that then pierce. It's, it's sort of mistiness uh, that he then pierces through. It's a, it's a it's there's a there's a great double skill to his face which can look sort of whimsical and sort of lost and misty, but then can also be piercing and dangerous and also very very sad. That beautiful droopy mouth he has and that sad eyes. And I think that is a much. Behind the sofa, love that Ace comes up from behind the sofa. I think, I, I, I think Sylvester McCoy's facial um, performance and just the, the 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 wonderful physiognomy that he has is really effective there. And I think that's a really great, brave way to to end it. To go, let's not have a big explosion. Let's have the Doctor, you know, use and, and not and not cruelly. I mean, he he has to be sort of quite cruel to force him to do what he does, and he's he's actually quite. Oh he is quite sort of you know, he's as he's sort of as mean as Tom Baker would be there, but there's there is a there is a sadness to him as well, um, just inherent in that face. It's funny, I thought he might have been a little bit more melancholy there, but he's quite he can be quite harsh when he needs to be, Sylvester McCoy's doctor. Um this was quite hard because obviously I'd buried my granddad the week before. So and I think I was quite upset after this episode and I hadn't realised why. And then a friend said, was it because of that? And I went, oh, God, yeah, of course. Um, I've got a feeling one of the extras in this is Colin Thomas, who plays Leela's dad in Face of Evil, one of those rare instances of an actor with a credited part uh, who then becomes an uncredited actor later on. Um and I'm not talking about people like Pat Gorman who go back and forth. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I Nobody cares. Uh, we did good in... Oh, bless her. Um, time will tell. Always does. I, I, I love... Yeah, he has that, that wonderful sort of mysterious melancholy. It's a beautiful ending, that. And the Mike... Yeah, I think the Mike Smith story is 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 very brave and it's good stuff for a children's tea time television show. And I think it's is wholly successful. Um and I, I didn't know Dursley McClindon before and 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 then obviously he'd pop up in in the odd thing and then suddenly you read in Doctor Who magazine that he died and died so young and uh, um, you know died under very very tragic circumstances which have been been that those terrible times have uh, been very wonderfully um, evoked and staged and explained and dramatized um you know with typical uh, comic verve and harsh reality uh, by and and you know ab- absolutely you know brilliantly um you know forensic the psychoanalyzed uh which is the key to good characterization by Russell T. Davis in *In It's a Sin*. So that gives this story another kind of uh, a, a aspect, all of its own, that, uh, that 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 it will now forever be linked with that Russell T. Davis drama that came later. But I, you know, I know it without that, and I know Dursley McClendon uh, without that, and I and I think sometimes we don't we don't want to lose him because oh he's the guy that established that story. I think in that. In, in you know that that series because he wasn't the Ollie Alexander character you know i'm sure they they picked, picked and chose bits that they wanted to tell that story and it's lovely that that you know he's 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 inspired such a, a, a thoughtful and and human piece that has made us examine those times which definitely you know those attitudes we have to be just just so aware of how terrible some of the attitudes around that condition and, and and around that time of very recent and you know lived history uh, were lest we pat ourselves on the back that you know we've been terribly civilized for a very long time um and and, and how sad I mean you know he was a he was a terrific young actor and uh, um he's down yeah you know, yeah. Take died died far too young, but I I I think I think that's a I think that's a great you know he his casting and and his presence as that and, and deciding to tell because I think sometimes it's all too easy to portray uh, extreme politics um, as the as the weapon of the despot and of the cruel uh, and of the obviously unkind. But unfortunately, the problem with all extreme politics is that very nice, decent people believe it or are persuaded by it. You know, no bad things that happened through history were all done by, you know, jackbooted sadists. Because fortunately, and I you one has to think this there aren't enough of those in the world at any one time for them to reach critical mass however what they can do is they can persuade anybody else i was going to say ordinary people but that takes me out of the equation no they can persuade us you me everybody with a with a honeyed word here or a piece of propaganda there that the cause of the world's problem is somebody else and not somebody uh, you know in a in a Castle, or in an office building, or uh, you know, untouchable and on high, making decisions that affect the rest of us. But the person next door to you, or those people in the next town who look different, or whatever, or those people, you know, particularly those that look different, and that's why it's so clever having the Daleks being into racial purity as well, because essentially it says, you know, that thing that. That is a bit like you, but not quite like you. And there's nothing worse. And Doc Who does this very well. You know, the thing that's like a crack in the wall, the thing that's like a gas mask, the thing that's a sort of parody of what we know and recognize is actually more scary sometimes than than a big just a big monster out of nowhere. So then that's that's where prejudice comes from. People that seem like us, but slightly different. So they don't talk quite the same way or they don't quite look the same way or they have religious customs that aren't the same as ours. That, they, that seems even more wrong because it's, they're a bit like us, you know. And I think that's a, that's a natural instinct that has to be curbed by intellect and by decency you know I think it's it's probably so, because you see it in the animal kingdom is what Nigel Neal does brilliantly a mass in the pit he equates racial superiority with the the cleansing of the hives in uh, you know in, in the insect world where you know it, 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 mutations uh, in order to preserve the you know perfect genetics or whatever of the of the, of the hive are are rooted out well you know the Nazis saw anything away from the Aryan pattern as a sort of genetic mutation. So wipe that out and then you have the purity distilled of, you know, that creates the Aryan perfection uh, uh, and you know, short men with little moustaches. But do you know what I mean? That's 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 the ethos behind it of going, well, we must, we must go for that ideal of purity. And that is because that as human beings, because back in the day we had to be very tribal, um... You, you, you would as an instinct want to cast out or want to reject things that didn't look like your tribe now we, we, we don't do that anymore we shouldn't do that because because we've learned and we've evolved and we don't and those those things aren't needed but you know back hundreds I maybe mean, when everybody was in individual villages or whatever and and, and and the society was not the society we have now there may have been a sort of drive an evolutionary need to do that to keep to keep your tribe. You know, small and get back to safe and all like you and bloody, blah, blah. blah, blah. Um, but, but we have, we, you know, we have moved on centuries and centuries later. And, and 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 if we have those instincts, they are dangerous primal instincts that we must. In, in the same way that you might want to, you know, beat to death the person that ran away with your wife. Well civilization goes well no you can't do that we can't just go around killing people who have wronged us we have due process we have systems in place because we are no longer uh you know sort of feral creatures uh you know and we've 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 evolved to have systems of justice and things where we have to do things that make us feel uncomfortable but are for the greater good or whatever so You know any tribal instincts that we have—they may—they you know—they come from something ancient and and something plausible, in terms of, as I say, uh, what 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 might have been an instinct that 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 came came from something real back in the day. But we have, you know, surely what civilization is is going well. Whatever whatever those things are that are buried in our subconscious. They are what we have to reject now through the things that make us what we are in the 21st century as a civilized uh, society is that you don't reject something because it's different from you. And actually you can benefit from things that have differences from you. And of course, not everything that seems different from you is different from you sometimes as bits that are the same as you as well. And it's only through uh, exchanging ideas with different people and different cultures and all of that so that we understand oh we're actually that there are a lot of things that are, are more similar than we might think but we don't know that until we exchange ideas and talk and and treat all human beings as equal so it's all i don't know why how i got from dursley mcclinton to to uh uh the the tr- the triumph of c- of civilization and intellect but um well it's because he's playing because he's playing somebody he's playing an everyman who uh uh who in so many ways seemed lovely and heroic and nice but who'd fallen prey to a, a, a base a base instinct. Um and I think it's I think it's much more interesting to me. It's really easy to go fascists are bad. It's harder t- to go Real people, nice people, your kindly neighbour who'd go shopping for an old person or rescue a child out of a hole might also not blink if they saw somebody with a different coloured skin uh, get, you know, get taken away in a van, you know. And those things happen and it's more interesting to examine why than just to go, Oh fascists are bad, um, because that I think... Um, enables us to try not to look at why those things might happen and how we might facilitate that through some of the things that we allow to happen because we all turn a blind eye to bad things in our society if they're you know if 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 doing something about them might make us uncomfortable so i i think you know remembrance works on so many levels in that regard i think it's it's smart and it's clever but but it doesn't and although it's there in the subtext and they have the, the, the conversations about, you know, they hate each other's chromosomes, it's not there's there's no sense of being lectured ever, I don't think. And sometimes I think this the 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 cart malaria can seem a little naive and and sixth form sometimes in its in its way that it parades the issues. But, you know, I will cut it some slack because it's a long time ago. The you know, Doctor Who didn't you know doing that inner show that has to be suitable for children is I think sometimes quite difficult because you can't be too subtle sometimes because you're writing for a different audience so I uh, you know and I and I certainly admire the intent and 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 happy when doctor Who does it um, and again especially, When it's not a lecture or a leaflet, you know, it is primarily Doctor Who, a piece of entertainment, a piece of zesty, fun entertainment as well. But I think Remembrance of the Daleks manages to be zesty. You've got a madcap Doctor with his very game companion, uh, and lovely, you know, the lovely guest characters, I think, work very well, but are totally believable too. Um, Lots of explosions, uh, uh, and and you know, in a in a in a peppy exciting production i can't believe i spent so much time being furious with it i'm an old oh, past me is an idiot <laughs> uh, and who knows i might listen to that uh, probably quite turgid lecture on c- civilization and the rise of fascism uh in 40 years time go what on earth was i talking about what a pretentious idiot but there we go um my heart is pure and even if sometimes the words that come out of my mouth are um (laughs) are uh, tainted with garbage so anyway listen what is my favorite thing about episode four and what is my favorite thing overall um bearing in mind we're at two all and uh Charles in episode one, didn't he, had the sixties setting, whereas I had the the Dalek extermination effect. Uh, episode two, we had the kind of racism thing, didn't we, uh, and and that lovely cafe scene. Episode three, we had the the sort of solidity of the production, didn't we, and he he specified particularly the the landing of the of the Dalek spaceship. Um. I. I actually, <laughs> this is terrible. I actually might go for all the explosions because I have to say Doctor Who does talk very well. It does philosophical ideas very well. It does character very well. Uh, it does humour very well. But what brought me to Doctor Who as a kid was it was scary and exciting. Uh, and it couldn't always do action As Now, I know there was action by Havoc in the 70s. that, That sort of predates me. And a lot of the action for me was people sort of lumbering slowly down corridors with the odd, very exciting laser beam painted on afterwards. So to have sort of street battles with explosions. And I love the way that Andrew Cartmel sort of cuts so that an explosion just happens as he changes camera angle and the Dalek bats backwards. It's a great use of Dalek props because it makes you think, I saw that one moving uh, literally a second ago. So it's like things are being sort of smashed as they're retreating. I love that shot of of when they're retreating and that one gets sort of hit. And it's obviously, it's a, it's a dummy one, but it wasn't a dummy in the previous shot because it was the front Dalek that was mobile. And I think all of that stuff is really, really clever. That blowing up of the gates and that's given us the lovely story of them setting off the alarms. Um, I'm sorry Uh, Doctor Who is intelligent it's smart it's witty uh, it's a cut above most action adventure because it has a heart and a soul and a great sense of humour but but very very rarely does it have loads of really brilliant exploding bits in and Remembrance of Daleks has a lot of really good brilliant exploding bits in so so I think for me uh, I'm going to go for all uh, the explosions as my favourite bit of episode four, uh, and for episode for 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 my for my uh, bonus thing, which accompanies which is which is the whole thing. I mean, I suppose we've already kind of said, haven't we? Um, uh andrew morgan in in terms of the solidity of the production it sort of touches with the with the explosions there as well i think what i might go for well do i either go for the fact that it ties in with the the first doctor it is 25 i think i'm just going to say and I'm, i'm sure charles won't choose this but the renaissance that it marks season 24 I mean, I, I like watching season twenty four now. It's cheeky, it's sometimes bonkers, uh, uh, it, but it's it's amb- it's trying to do something different. Uh, it's it, it's an attempt to, to to replace some of the limitations that Doctor Who is under with a sort of comic book zany sensibility. Uh, but unfortunately, I think that sometimes with season twenty four means that it looks a bit more like comes across a bit more like Galloping Galaxies than it does 2001 um, or even Judge Dredd if we're going for the comic book thing and and it was tough being a Doctor Who fan off the back of seasons 23 and 24 which were, which were really hard to, as as a Doctor Who fan to hold your head up high as you went into school. Now I still had problems with Doctor Who in the later two seasons but a lot of those were problems of my own manufacturing and my own determination to find life difficult and to and to make the things i love cause me distress i hope but now that i'm 49 i've got over that a little bit and i do and i do see i know i I sometimes find myself doing it but i i do see it in other people and it's 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 instructive um but nonetheless watching that first episode and there's there's a lovely trailer uh, and then I still have on a VHS somewhere for that for that first episode when he's going, it's me, the Doctor, um, and all of that, and it and it did feel like the show had really suddenly come together and got better. And I think well, is it Enemy or something? The, the discontinuity guide quotes is it Enemy saying it was one of the reasons to be alive that year. Um, it did feel like. Even if it was only certain corners of the media, Doctor Who's always had scorn poured on it, and that's always been a cause of great fury and embarrassment for me. But certain little corners of pop culture were suddenly going again. Actually, Doctor Who's all right. And I certainly felt I could go... You know, I, I talked about last week about, you know, having a relative who, you know, even in a really brilliant episode finds a line about putting your backs into it or the, and you, there, there are always people who are going to just sit and look and go well there's a reason that that's crap uh and i think what i've ultimately learned over the years is to go well they're going to do that anyway so there's no point getting annoyed with them that's their loss they're not winning i wouldn't want to be that cynical or that dismissive when when actually i can see the so many positives in in the hard work and endeavour and creativity and artistry that goes into these things and I don't want to be that person and I'm fine with that and that's fine if they want to be like that's fine that's how they get through, th- through their life and that's fine it doesn't ultimately do any harm and and, and it doesn't matter don't, don't, it, don't sweat it you, you know you've got, to, you've got to engage in the world in the way that you want to and I want to engage in the world where I, I can mine creative endeavour and uh, artistic expression and uh, storytelling on the terms of the people telling the story and trying to em- trying to embrace that and sometimes I think you know people people are expressing ideas badly or wrongly or have read the world wrong and uh, uh, and, and and if they and if if they do it hamfistedly I'll sort of go oh well I'm not I'm not going with that I see where you're going for I'm not going with that but uh, you know the 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 purpose of remembrance of the daleks is to put on a uh, on a really enjoyable peppy action adventure that's got a subtext if you want it to be there that's intelligently wrought uh and also crucially for for that time the production is is so far ahead of of You know, if you think about Dragonfire and Paradise Towers and and Time in the Rani uh, and and, and Delta. I mean, you know, Time in the Rani has my all-time favorite naff bit of Doctor Who, which is that, uh, you know, in the quarry, that that concrete piping that they've turned into space piping by sticking a bit of tinsel around it. Um, Whereas I I think even today, the production of Remembrance of the Daleks is superb just the way the colours of it the way that it looks but the design martin Collins' design you know andrew morgan who directed time and the rani and it actually a lot of his camera work and stuff is 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 very good but you know it has you know a naf shambling monster and uh, you know it it can't escape a lot of its inherent problems and some of the staging actually some of the studio work isn't great um but it's a different you know remembrance of the Daleks comes in and it's bold and it's confident and it's got and it's celebrates the past it's got nods to the past which are rather lovely even if you get over if you have to get over the fact that the book covers wrong and the spelling of foreman is wrong uh, you know no, none of that actually gets in the way of the story the story doesn't it doesn't eat itself up in its own self-satisfaction or continuity the continuity is there and it's enjoyable but it doesn't get in the way of the story i love the and and now it's time for the new program dot you know because you could do that whatever you want it's it's fun and it, and it's there and it's gone beautiful uh, don't tie yourself up in knots about it just enjoy it it's a nice little bit of texture that says this is a show that's 25 years old this year and it comes from somewhere but at the same time, it's going, this is bold and this is new and we don't, you know, let's not have Davros until right to the end. Let's let's mix up what we do with the Daleks. They're actually at civil war with each other because they're they're. you know, be, be, because of the whole racial purity thing that is their driving force, but actually becomes their undoing, uh, which is a fascinating idea, which is a great use of the core. um Metaphor that the Daleks are—you know—that the Daleks are Nazis. Okay, well, what you know? What's one of the many problems with the whole racial purity thing? Well, if you're a race that's had to, you know, pick from elsewhere in order to survive, that's going to scuppy your own ideology, uh, and 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 you know, pop will eat itself, kind of thing. You know, um fascism will exterminate itself, um, and that was always Davros's problem. You know, he created a thing that wanted, you know, that, that survival of its own kind in its own image. Was absolutely of paramount importance, which pushes him out of the picture, which is brilliant. Uh, <laughs> you know, you've 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 created a monster not quite in your own image, and so will therefore be destroyed by it. Uh, which is all very very clever stuff. I love all of that. Um, but this is the story directly after Dragonfire. This is two stories after Paradise Towers, three stories after Time and the Rani, and it looks like a different show. It's got the confidence. Of a different show. I think there is confidence in season twenty-four of, as I say, boldly trying to be that sort of comic strippy thing, and it. But it. Uh, so you. Uh, so and I sort of admire that, but much more in retrospect, to be perfectly honest, um, and now much more than I can intellectualise it, and now much more that it's part of a big mosaic where the, the you know the future of the show is it isn't isn't balancing on the precipice of whether whether that works or not this feels like you know it's unapologetic it's moving forward looking back a little bit with a cheeky smile but it's moving forward and it's confident and it's fresh and it's and it's two leads fit it like a in fact it's two leads are a, are a sort of antidote and a tonic there to the you know more traditional action adventure stuff having these sort of slightly zany leads works much better because it, in fact it's almost like Sylvester McCoy is too much like the stories in season 24 they're as sort of st- strange and chaotic as the doctor whereas this doctor sort of flitting through this as this as the sort of chaotic whimsical clown amidst a back a recognizable backdrop of 60s England and solid sets and uh you know straight performances just seems it's, it seems what the doctor should be doing, coming in and shaking it up, uh, and 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 I really like their energy. Even though, as I say, I, I I sometimes think Sylvester McCoy's vocal performance doesn't quite do it for me. But that's that's okay because what you get instead is all of the other stuff that he has. That, that comes from the fact that he's not you know he's a slightly more chaotic performer so it's all good it's all good and, hi, and hi, him and Sophie Aldred have obviously I mean, it's only their second story they've got such a great rapport uh, and she's an attempt to do something different with the companion character as well so I think it's the fact that it's it's a renaissance of the Daleks it's not a renaissance of the Daleks it's a renaissance of Doctor Who the fact that you know you know two years before it's unkind cessation uh the show was going we're we're working hard to you know to reinvent ourselves and 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 be be fresh and confident and exciting and, and and it is a real upsurge in quality so yeah so so part four my favorite thing is explosions and part five is that long probably slightly nebulous idea of a renaissance um charles will now no doubt say two things that i i'll think oh god yeah that's so obvious i should have said that uh but that's the nature of this this is unrehearsed i don't think about the episodes before i Hello, go in As requested, here are five things. sorry I, I i started charles's thing right from the beginning so i now i just have to uh find the point where he comes talks about episode four
1: what are charles's favorite things about episode four and as a whole so um fourth thing thing number four and i'm actually going to cheat if that's okay um (laughs) i'm going to cheat because i'm going to pick something that is in the original script for episode four
0: ah He's going to choose, which I didn't talk about. And actually, when I was in the shower last night, I was thinking, oh, I must talk about that bit. I said, I don't really think about it. I did think about this bit, and I didn't do it. Where It's the scene where the Doctor says, I am more than just another Time Lord, which I think is quite nice because it's just a line, and it just adds a little mystery. It doesn't give anything away, and it's absolutely how to re-inject the mystery into the Doctor because it's, it's quite nebulous but it just goes, we know time laws, we know blah, 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 we know. And, and to just go, let's, let's stick some who back into it. But without creating a whole new mythology, but just going, oh, we'll make a few suggestions here and there about shadowy stuff. Sylvester McCoy is great at that. But of course that scene is not in remembrance of that it's a cutscene. fortunately we still had it because they were smart enough to start hanging on to stuff at this point um but i cannot believe that i mean i'm i i, I didn't talk about it i probably did some stutterily stuttering uh social consciousness stuff or um we got stuck in a mixed metaphor that put me up a gum tree without a paddle um uh, but nonetheless i'm i'm me not mentioning that lovely cutscene—that the thing to say about it is it's nicely done and it's a nice way of you know trying to re-inject the mystery into Doctor Who and it's quite fun and isn't it nice that we still have it—is one thing, but to choose it as my favourite thing of the episode that would be malfeasance uh, in happy times and places uh, law and, uh, and Charles seems to me to have well yeah you heard him let's let's hear him
1: compound his felony. Was shot as part of episode four and was, I think, in the original edit of episode four, but isn't actually in the episode as broadcast because it ended up on the cutting room floor. Um, and it's a tiny little moment in which the doctor is talking to Davros over his sort of makeshift um, 1960s Skype and, um, he he, I think Davros, I can't remember the exact wording, I think Davros accuses him of just being another Time Lord. And the Doctor says he's far more than just another Time Lord. And he doesn't say anything else. There's no there's no follow-up to that. It's just a little throwaway comment. Um, but it's kind of um, emblematic of Andrew Cartwell's entire approach to the the, the character and the mythos of the Doctor. Um, it's all about trying desperately to restore some mystery to the character. Ultimately, the character, is, the, the title of the show is, is, is Doctor Who. The whole point of the programme is meant to be that you don't know who this man is. You're not supposed to know exactly where they've come from, exactly what their past is. You should get vague hints of some kind of dark mythology. There's something strange and dark and traumatic has happened, but you must never ever know what it is. And one of the big problems is that by the time you reach 1988, all sorts of writers have come along explaining away a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more each time about the Doctor's past, And his origins and why he left his alien planet and what that alien planet's called and who he lived with and what his family are and absolutely everything about them until the show is no longer Doctor Who, you you no longer have any mysteries of the character at all, at which point the show basically stops working. And um, yeah, I just love that little exchange where he says he's far more than just a Time Lord. I love its vagueness. I love the fact it asks so many more questions than it answers and has no intention of answering those questions. And it's just one moment among many, of course, um, in in that sort of late 80s period that tries desperately hard to make the Doctor a little bit more mysterious. And you know what? Most of the time it doesn't actually work. Um, (laughs) But I loved the effort. Um, I applaud the effort. Um, I applaud the fact that um, the Time Lords are often talked about in Remembrance of the Daleks there you know, there's all sorts of little mentions of their mythology and their background, but you never see them. There's no actual visual evidence of what they look like or what they sound like or realistically what Gallifrey is about on any meaningful level. It's all just sort of shadows and shapes and you get the sense that the Doctor somehow belongs in those shadows and you're not quite sure how. it could be said that maybe certain of the Carmel era stories get a tiny bit bogged down in that, and I think *Remembrance of the Daleks does at times as well. Um, ultimately, I don't really care what The Hand of Omega is, and I don't really want to hear about it in too much detail, to be honest. But you have to applaud the the intent behind it, the intent to establish the Doctor as this sort of unknowable mystery and then just get on with telling a good story not allowing the story of the Doctor not allowing the Doctor's origins to sort of become the story Um, and yeah I think Remembrance of the Daleks is a lot more successful with balancing that than many of the stories are and um, yeah it's one of the things I love about it and it's all sort of distilled in that little throwaway line when he says he's far more than just a time lord. And um, I really like that moment. I think it's a shame they cut it. Um, but the thing I like about it most is the fact that it's not followed up in any way whatsoever.
0: Now, this very interesting. First of all, uh, disclaimer, that that might sound like Charles is having a go at the Chris Chibnall era, but I've got a feeling he recorded that before much of if or indeed any of the you know pre hartnell doctors joe martin all of that stuff uh which is a bit more blatant about reshaping the origins of 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 doctor who so before anyone gets any cross or writes in and goes don't 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 be mean about my thing what i like um i think he's making a more general point rather than targeted dig uh so, and in fact, I'm not sure he even what I don't want to. Uh, anyway, so so I think it's more of a general point, And I definitely concur with that point. I, I think Doctor Who, Doctor Who is important. You know, I, I think one of the most important decisions made uh, in the genesis of Doctor Who was to change Susan's line. I was born in the 49th century to I was born in another time, another place. Both do the same job. W- the one that they went with makes it more mysterious uh, and unknowable. And and and, but also something that you kind of know isn't really important to find out, because once you find it out, where do you go? Once you find out, there. Now, the Time Lords were added to add a bit of, you know, mythology to the show, and of course, they have the advantage for me is that it happened before I was born, so it was already part of the show's makeup, so it wasn't spoiling anything, you know, it it wasn't ruining the magic of Doctor Who. But I, but with within that. Um, and you could say that that you know that destroyed that uh, a lot of that mystery of the of the doctor who but I think I think you don't I don't want to know too much about the doctor's childhood um one because I am not that interested in kids in drama do you know what I mean I because it was certainly not in Doctor who because I was a kid I didn't want kids I didn't want to know about kids I wanted to know about what it was like when you grew up and things happened and you went and did exciting things and you were allowed to because you were a grown-up and you were independent um I think the more the less you know about the Doctor the more that each individual child a Doctor who is so important for children can map themselves on to the character of the Doctor um, and, and frankly that can happen whatever gender, colour, whatever it's, it's not really about that is it it's about an, a hero with whom you identify because they have the characteristics of being a bit of a loner not quite fitting in um you know flawed not not all the traditional things that a lot of other television heroes are in terms of you know physicality and being popular and fitting in and all of those sorts of things but again this may be me mapping myself onto doctor but that but the more vague the origins and who the doctor is is the the more multi interpretational that character is, which means that the character will appeal to more children, but probably largely children, I think, who maybe are a little bit lost or in need of a, a less traditional sort of hero. And I think that is vital to the show. So I think anything that, you know, re-injects a bit of mystery into the origin of the, because once you've explained who the doctor is, it's, it's only going to be, but you know, once you say the force is midichlorians, you've, you've destroyed the sort of magic. Now, I don't like magic in, my science fiction i prefer a, a tachyon to a invocation of anubis because i i can latch onto science i can't even if it's nonsense science even if it's bidmead science or whatever in a way that i can't latch onto a spell in the same way uh the the magic of the character is that it's it's not been broken down like science into its base constituents there is an air of something that you can't quite explain or you can't quite and then in in seeking to explain it you know you go well I just I just feel comforted by that presence that character I like the humour I like the braveness it's a character that I would feel that I would want to be under those circumstances funny in the face of danger not scared or if I'm scared brave anyway um you can aspire to be Doctor Who, but only if you know there's enough vague about the character that you can map your DNA onto that character. So I absolutely applaud um, any any attempt to add more mystery to the character, and and certainly that that scene but I didn't choose it as my thing for episode four because it's not in episode four. And, and the sheer nerve of the man who chose to cut the uh, rough and tumble machine scene out of the Macra Terra, taking an actual broadcast scene out of Doctor Who for the animation, then voting for a scene that was never in Doctor Who in the first place means that Charles Norton has just been struck off my Christmas card list. He hasn't really, he's lovely but um what a nerve uh, <laughs> um so anyway um <laughs> let's see now uh, now we're equal even though he's cheated um but let's see if uh, I could still win i could be more than just another podcast host i could be a victorious one it would be the second time in the series history if this happens uh if i if i if if he chooses one of the things that I have already chosen uh, or the same thing that I chose for the bonus thing. So it's possible,
1: but it won't. It'll probably choose something, a font or something. Let's see. Okay, So final thing, thing number five. And again, I'm gonna cheat because it doesn't actually actively relate to any one particular episode as such. It's kind of the thing that happens before the story starts. And that's the pre-title sequence um, the pre-title sequence to episode one, um, Doctor Who didn't really do pre-title sequences very much in the 1980s, um, there was one before this, um, right at the start of the decade, Castrovalva had a pre-title sequence, and Remembrance of the Daleks has one in 1988, I think that is basically it, I don't think there are any others, um, But they're always so effective. It's such a wonderful way of opening the story. The Americans call them the cold open, don't they? Um, It's just a really effective way of starting a story. It gives you the opportunity to set the scene and use it as a hook to to sort of pull people in. And I can think of few Doctor Who stories in general that do it as well as Remembrance of the Daleks. The pre-title sequence is just a single shot And all which basically happens is the camera pulls back and then the episode starts. You start on this shot of the planet Earth, the camera pulls back to this spaceship and then the titles start. And that's all. Visually, that's all that really happens. Um, But it's also all that needs to happen. And the amount of information that they actually get in to that little camera move... Is is really very skillful. It tells you, due to the the radio messages you can hear, it tells you that this story is going to be set in the early sixties. It tells you it's set in a world that's somewhat in flux. Uh, it brings with it all sorts of sense of sort of foreboding and dread. And then you see this spaceship, and you know that this this little planet in the year nineteen sixty three is in danger from this great big spaceship that's going to come and do something horrible. And um, it establishes all of that in just a few seconds and it does it really really well and um yeah it's a really effective and well thought out um pre-title sequence not over busy but just sort of does what it needs to do and i wish they'd done more of them i wish there were more more pre-title sequences in 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 doctor who i wish they were like um uh shows like the uh the professionals and the new avengers that Sort of capitalised on the pre-title sequences in the late seventies. I can I can see so many stories that would have been immeasurably improved from having a having a cold open, um, but yeah, we don't see it often in the show's original run, but we see it with Remembrance of the Daleks, and it it's just a fantastic sort of uh, uh, scene setter for the for the rest of the story. So there you go, five things, five things about Remembrance of the Daleks that I that I like, five five moments um, that I think are really effective and make it, I think one of the strongest stories of the 1980s and um, certainly I would I'd argue the strongest story of Sylvester McCoy's time
0: Well, thank you Charles I mean, no, that's a perfectly legitimate choice it's, uh, it's cheating, it's not it's a bonus thing, it can be en- the rule about the bonus thing, it can be anything I mean so long as it's in the show which um which, which I haven't managed with your previous choice uh, and you said it didn't pertain to any particular episode it does it's it pertains to episode one it's part of episode one just happens before the credits but yes I mean it is brilliant I, I mean the only the only thing apart from the cast revival one that I say is remotely similar and gives me a, 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 an equal frisson is I love the bit that because we know that ambassadors of death uh, it does the titles differently so it has the opening cre- the opening titles but but then it has the cliffhanger reprise and then the story title, which is glorious. But of course, for episode one, there's no cliffhanger to reprise. So instead, it has effectively its own pre-titles, and with that, you know, Ralph Cornish talking to Van Leiden and he goes, "Something took off from Mars," and it goes, "Then the title screaming," and that's the kind of that's the only other real equivalent of a cold open, isn't there? In uh, in in classic, and I love that as well. But I I really do like the one for Remembrance of the Daleks, because as you say, it's done with economy, it's very, very simple, but it's hugely atmospheric, it's well well rendered as well, it's a good special effects shot, but the use of the clips makes it, uh, it gives it a sense of occasion, it's quite atmospheric, there's something about hearing archive clips, but it's also slightly educational as well, and I always think of the way that JFK says, the Aya, Instead of air, we all breathe the same air. Um, uh, and uh, they were going to have Bob Dylan as well, weren't they? They were going to have uh, a piece of Bob Dylan music on as well, and they ended up not doing it. But it's um, it has uh, uh, Charles de Gaulle, doesn't it? And it has um, Martin Luther King. I have and that's brilliant because it feels so special uh, that you've got you know these classic moments of historical uh, uh, sort of foot audio, this historical audio, which is the actual people, which makes, you know, which gives it a bit of sort of you know genuine heft really because you've got the actual people yeah you know, I'm, I'm sure i wonder i bet on imdb they spoilt it now by going, putting jfk in the cast putting archive footage that's why <laughs> uh, that's, i hate that um but um but yeah but it's the fact that it's the actual people which then evokes the time it gives it a sense of scale it gives it a sense of you know the momentousness of history as we understand it because when those words were being said who who knew that they would resonate resonate so far forward um, but of course they did and they turned out to be hugely uh, important I mean resonant at the time no doubt but they've, they've stood the test of time and they now stand as sort of totems of you know seismic events of, of that period of history and Doctor Who started in that period of history so it ties it all together so it's a momentous piece of Doctor Who because it's also looking back to the first you know this 25 years of Doctor Who looking back to the start of Doctor Who but it's also placing it in that historical context and it's doing this within a sequence that's what less than 30 seconds and it's a you know, space eye view of Earth, and we know how much we love those. The new series does them, uh, uh you know, to start seasons to start the whole of the new series. And and the shot of the spaceship, uh, I'm sad that it's slightly the titles don't kick in until after the sort of it looks like the shots run out and it sort of pauses. You could say it's a freeze frame, but it does just look like the effects have run out. Uh, um, but it's really economical, and anything that is done with economy, I think the best and the most beautiful. Uh, aspects of clever storytelling or economy and i i say that as somebody who i know speaks too much says too much uses three thousand words where three will do and that's why i really really admire when anybody does storytelling that is so effective and emotional uh, and and informative and and does it in an economical way i admire that uh i i you know i think it's it's hugely to the credit of the people that do it that trust the audience and trust themselves to give just enough To give you everything you need and to provide atmosphere and drama and, you know, a cold opening that leads into an explosion uh, of, uh, wow, we're going to have a great adventure. And the adventure lives up to the promise. But it's a great opening. It's a great, great moment. And, of course, now the cold opening, the pre-titles, is part of what... Doctor Who you know it's it's part of what Doctor Who does so well it's we've sort of exchanged the cliffhangers really of the multi-part adventures for the pre-titles and 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 having thought that the cliffhangers you know which is so important such an important part of Doctor Who would be a great loss to it actually have metamorphosed into something different and and there are any number of cold openings which from scratch create anticipation and edge of the seat and oh my god uh, moments um, before the adventurers even began, and you know they t- they take their lead from uh, in, in Doctor Who terms from 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 that one. In I'm not saying they're directly. inspired. by Russell T Davis doesn't need to be inspired by a, a moment from a, a 1988 Doctor Who story, but but in terms of you know ch- chain of events uh, and 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 patterns, whether they exist or or not, uh, you know the, the the pre-titles in 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 modern Doctor Who are doing the same job that that one does in uh, in remembrance of the daleks and it all adds to the great number of things that makes it an excellent story i'm so glad i learned to stop worrying and uh love the hand of omega <laughs> um i've really enjoyed that uh and I'm so used to being much more excited about stuff that happened before I was born, just for various reasons that I've, I've probably gone into many times, um, that this, this process where I'm getting to look at the stuff that was, that was new to me and, and uh, you know, worrisome to me because I, I lived with the fear of Doctor Who being cancelled, where I can now just enjoy it for what it is. Uh, for not what it threatened to be, or for what it might not be, or for what other people might think it was, and to look at it as a piece of history itself. Now further away now than an unearthly child was when I was watching this when it went out. Uh, I'm so I I'm so lucky to have seen that stuff go out first time. I'm actually lucky to have the chance to revisit it with um, the the thoughtful intelligent stimulation of, of friends who can, uh, you know, throw in context and observations that make me think and reassess and reframe. But also to share it with you listeners who without whom this would just be a, you know, I'd just be throwing stones at the moon. Uh, it's nice to feel that there are people out there listening to this and hopefully enjoying it. And that maybe what I... Th- say might make you look at the story again in a different way or reframe it or just enjoy the the, the communal experience of, you know, watching a show and knowing that there's somebody else that shares your thoughts or has different thoughts to you, but you know, that you can either agree with or disagree with. But it makes it, it makes it all part of a great, a great big tapestry. Uh, And uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually feel lucky that I'm able to look back on this stuff from the safety of, as I record this, Doctor Who being, you know, still present. It looks like it's got a very exciting future. It's it's fondly regarded. People are excited by. I'm excited by what's to come. But I'm also thrilled to revisit what is gone. So yeah, there's a lesson there. It, yes, yeah, it's, it's worth sometimes checking in with your past, just in case you've you've left a planet destroying device in a coffin and you kind of need to attend to it. Uh, so. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna nip down to the local undertakers to uh, see if I've um to see if I've uh, left any genocide machines kicking about. I think, I think you'll find I think you'll find. I think you'll find, I think you'll find I think you'll find Okay, we haven't had one of these for a while, and it's not for me. Uh it's just been pointed out to me that Charles suggests that there's uh, no pre credit sequence other than Castrovalva, and of course there is one in *Time and the Rani*, the, uh, the pre-credit sequence that leads to the Doctor's regeneration uh, in *Time and the Rani*, and uh, I don't think I corrected Charles, so somebody I'm sure out there wants to write it and correct him or me for not correcting him and indeed one of my lovely patrons has gone uh, that and i went did i say did i say that there wasn't another one I said no no you it's not that you didn't say uh, that uh, there was not but charles did so anyway whoever you decide to blame we are aware at happy times and places that there is a pre-credits sequence at the beginning of Time and the Rani. But I, I thought I'd use this opportunity to also say, I, on reflection, I've been thinking about this, because it's been a very long and rambly, but very enjoyably celebratory look back at Remembrance of the Daleks, where I also, uh, it's been pointed out on Patronville, which interests me that it, it never occurred to me that the Doctor's doings with the Hand of Omega um you know, the programming that he does, he does when he comes back. It wasn't that it was programmed before Hartnell left. McCoy's come back and programmed it, and then it does the stuff to the Daleks. So he didn't need to know about the Daleks being around for it to do what he asked it to do. That had never occurred to me. And it seemed. And a few people have pointed it out to me and gone, why are you worried about that? It, it, it was just a powerful device that Hartnell had left behind. And then McCoy's come back, and the Daleks are around, and he's programmed it to blow up the Daleks and Scarrow. And, and for some reason, I got it in my head that no, Hartnell had left it programmed to destroy the Daleks and Scarrow, which of course he couldn't have done in the continuity of the show because he hasn't in, encountered the Daleks yet. But that's what that's what the story wants us to think. And I'd I'd never done what seems to me now a fairly I'm doubting myself even now though I go but I'm sure in the story anyway. Uh, i it's funny how you can get an idea fixed in your head and it only takes somebody else and I've seen remembrance of the Daleks loads of times uh somebody else to go um yeah but it, it could be that and you go oh yeah why didn't I think of that so <laughs> just goes to show how being single-minded about something either positively or negatively uh you know you if, if you're accepting of of just a nudge in a different direction, you can you can find that all sorts of other possibilities <laughs> open themselves up. So um, uh, so yes, so I, I accept that I might be my, my my fury at uh, at the in, inherent contradiction within the storytelling of Remembrance of the Daleks might be entirely misplaced. The other thing I th- and I think what has been misplaced in this series of commentaries, and I don't know why, but I've just been reflecting on it. Uh, uh, is is enough mention of ben aronovich who uh, writes four very clever scripts and, uh, and you know the way that he he ties in dalek law with uh, what he wants to look at in terms of racism in human society but also in 1960s britain and all of that uh but also you know the, and, and this was pointed out uh in the chat in uh my pa- in, 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 on, on my Patreon now, that's not a plug for this. I'm just trying to acknowledge that that, that you know I haven't necessarily come up with all of this. And that there's some interesting conversations that have been prompted by by outside forces that I'm you know I gleefully embrace and I'm grateful to uh, you know the, the the stimulation they have provided. Um, but the way that he writes the the language, the ra- the, the way that he he writes the dialogue uh, of Doctor Who. Um, uh, he writes dialogue that's, that 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 fits Doctor Who very well, and his storytelling is very suited to thrusting 80s Doctor Who into doing something slightly cooler and funkier and more intelligent. Uh, and I think he does deserve a great deal of credit for that. And you know, it's n- not surprising that he's. But I mean, it is surprising in the sense that you, you know, you always, you, you know, not every not every great person uh, associated with our our show goes on to get, you know great plaudits outside of it and sometimes it's for us to celebrate people like well, know, Kevin Stoney uh, 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 who, you know, who would totally be forgotten it? not for Doctor Who I'm sure pretty much um, but, but somebody like Ben Aronovich you know, is, is, is hugely fated now outside the world of Doctor Who but that means uh, one shouldn't forget to fate him within the worlds of Doctor Who where I think he you know, even though he only wrote two stories uh, you know, he's an important voice and he's certainly a vital part of the success of Remembrance of the Daleks. And I I fear I perhaps didn't say his name enough during during these sessions. So I'm happy to readdress that now. Uh, Hopefully that was more than just another podcast. I certainly enjoyed it. I hope you did too. Uh, It has been pleasant. Happy times and places. Well thank you ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places which is presented by me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest Charles Norton who isn't on social media anywhere. I'm grateful to him though and to the Patrons who make this podcast possible and they include Steve Manfred, Gavin McLean, Lisa and Andrew, James Lark, Guy Lambert, Clive Lewis, Ashley Knight, Andy Kitching, Jess Jerkovic, Christopher Joyce, Andrew Jordan, Robert Jewell, Richie Howarth, Dave Hoskin, Legion Henderson, Paul Gregory, Fraser Gregory, David Green, Lisa C Greco, James Gould, Paul Goodridge, Gary Gillett, Joe Ford, Mark Findlay-Smith, John Elledge, Mark Dakin, John Curley, Andy Case, Paul Carrington, Paul Carnahan, Alex Caffajoglu, Robbie C, Robin Bland, Gary Byrne, Rick Byatt, Will Brooks, David Bickley, James Bell, Luke Atkins, Kevin Ashelford, John Arnold, Catherine Armitage and Peter Adamson. The music is by Dave Gates, the artwork by Dylan Patterson. And if you too would like your name read out with in- <laughs> increasing desperation, then that is one of the perks of becoming a patron. At Patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke, where for as little as £3 a month you get your name read out, uh, you get bonus releases, you get advance material, you get exclusives, uh, and everything is, is much more ahead uh, than on iTunes and Spotify and all the other places out there. And there's monthly AMAs and pictures of my dog. £3 a month is the lowest tier. You can get 10% off that, and indeed off any tier, if you sign up for a year in one go. And as you ascend the tiers, you do get a few extra little trinkets, but all of the content is available at the lowest tier. Pop over, it's quite nice over there, it's jolly. Um, if you can't or don't want to commit to a monthly thing, but you think I sound particularly needy, you can go to kofi.com forward slash Toby haddock If you've liked a particular podcast or if you're feeling particularly flush, um, you know, as a, as a one-off and you can do a one-off payment, you don't get any bonuses or anything. It's just a sign of your appreciation. It's like walking past me at the underground station and I'm playing a particularly good tune on my guitar and you've got a pocket full of change. Uh, uh but you don't have to do either of those things these are free at the point of contact but if you would like to um support them by i think they say subscribe and like subscribe and like that helps more people know that these are out there and might make them avail themselves of these which would be very nice uh, because um it would sort of justify the fact that this is what i spend my time doing and if you like them maybe you know some other people who might like them that costs you nothing but five stars really helps on itunes spotify podbean and perhaps a couple of lines of review really help as well and of course anything on twitter facebook and other social medias is all good but subscribe and like tell people about these things and uh, i'd love you forever even even if we we never meet but the love is there in my heart (music) Talking of social media, go to at Hadoke Podcasts, H-A-D-O-K-E, on Twitter. Follow there. That's uh, that's a, a feed just for news about these podcasts. I've got my own feed as well, at Toby Hadoke, which is about these podcasts and any other things I think of that are usually Doctor Who related or plugging my comedy shows at Excess Malarkey Comedy Club, which is in Manchester. And that's every Tuesday. And that can be followed at Excess Malarkey, X S. M a l a r k e y at Excess Malarkey, which is a fine comedy establishment that I've been emceeing for the past 25 years. Come along, we've just moved venue and uh, it's it's beautiful. Things are going well, and we've got some fantastic comedians lined up every Tuesday at 8 p.m. <laughs> No, I normally do a bit of post-credits chunter, but over on Patronville, which I haven't made up, um, there's been a lot of love for Remembrance of the Daleks and for, you know, the mood of uh, these past four episodes of Happy Times and Places. It all seemed to come together quite nicely. I don't know, I certainly enjoyed doing it, so I hope you enjoyed listening. But, um, you know, the love is being spread, so uh, I'm just going to read a few of the bits of feedback I got from... Uh, various uh, subscribers, because it's lovely. So Joe Llewellyn, who uh, is someone I've never met, lives over there in America. Unless you're listening in America, in which case I'm I'm over there and you're over here living with Joe. Uh, but anyway, Joe says, uh, "Remembrance. Why do I love it so much? I think it was the classic Who story that made me love the classic series. I'd not seen a lot of the classics." and was sampling them. They were fine, but nothing was really clicking with me. Then, ten years ago this month, I read the Wife in Space blog about remembrance. I was at Fort Lewis, Washington, right after my deployment to Afghanistan, and I was having my shoulder looked at before being released from active duty. I had injured it playing American football in Kabul, but it didn't stop me from doing my job. I did want it documented in case it caused me problems later. Anyway, Sue Perryman's delight at remembrance was enough for me to grab my external hard drive, which had all of existing Classic Who episodes and the recons as of early 2013, courtesy of the legendary Kabul share drive. (laughs) I love that. So people serving in the armed forces in in Afghanistan uh, had a, a share drive that had all of Doctor Who on it. Extraordinary. And this is what I love about this. Joe and I have completely different lives um, completely different uh, stimuli, outlooks, all sorts of things. And I have lots of lovely chats uh, with, with Joe uh, online as a result of um, him becoming a patron. And I think, you know, uh, y- you learn from other people and people from different backgrounds and perspectives and points of view and all sorts of things. And uh, all united by this love of Doctor Who. So it's great to hear from, from Joe. Anyway, I've interrupted Joe. I've since purchased, says Joe, every classic story properly, some more than once. Ah, so that's that's just to underline that the uh, Kabul share drive did not, con- did not deny royalties to any Doctor Who performers. Um, uh, wow, the pacing, the cast, the action and the quiet moments, the dialogue. And unlike Mrs. Perryman, I kind of like the music. I think 21-year-old me would have been completely smitten by Sophie Aldred. Remembrance made it possible for me to watch, enjoy, and commit to Classic Who. Favourite classic story, Doctor and companion. No other story, no matter how enjoyable, has changed my mind. Thanks, Joe. Um, And the Wife in Space blog, by the way, if you don't know it, it's uh, Neil and Sue Perryman. He is a fan, she is not. uh, They're married, and they watch every Doctor Who story in order and blogged about it and turned it into a book. And it's great fun, if you've not availed yourself of that. Uh, uh, Philip Marsh says this is ironically the first Doctor story I can remember watching it had a lot to answer for but yes there are minor faults in the episode he's talking about episode one as you rightly point out but I'm still always amazed by how pacey the first episode is it absolutely rushes along McCoy's ability to keep scenes moving with his rapid delivery doesn't get enough credit in my opinion and his almost throwaway delivery of some great lines give me some of that Nitro 9 that you're not carrying is a delight the production is first rate all round, the script is full of great lines, and the Doctor and Ace have instantly bonded into the most compelling team in years. How anyone look, would look at this and still think the show needed cancelling is beyond me. Very true, Philip. And people's, few people still uh, uh, kept coming in... Uh, Uh, after that, oh, Mark Trevor Owen says Dursley McClendon was interviewed on Manx Radio on the morning of the day this episode was shown. Early mornings, perhaps not a natural environment for a young actor, and he accidentally gave away the cliffhanger. He was very apologetic. Uh, James Lark, this story was my gateway drug, so it's impossible to be objective, but it's so good, isn't it? so much packed into one episode so many details the sheer confidence of the thing this is episode one again and to attempt to be a little bit objective one thing that strikes me is that it heralds two series of mostly really really good dialogue witty efficient naturalistic at which in spite of some strong competition aronovich is the very best in this era it's a little too easy to take for granted in a post buffy or at least to be honest a post moffat age but for classic tv this feels really modern thanks to the script Good point. Also, a cursory look through the New Adventures comics and other assorted 90s Who spin-offs will show how influential this kind of writing was and uh, how it wasn't as easy as Ben Aronovich made it look. I don't think I talked about that enough over the four episodes so thank you for bringing that up James i think that's very true as for the cliffhanger which i fear is mainly a problem for you and your biographer toby <laughs> i don't remember it being in the slightest bit implausible uh, this is cliffhanger to part 1 that i banged on about at length uh, if you remember at the time but i do remember running around the playground like a proverbial sixties child shouting exterminate with several friends and that perhaps is the point i've had to remind myself of that over the years when i've been irritated by the slightly too catchphrasy monsters of new who Speaking of which, the stair sequence shows huge restraint and speed if you compare it to the 2005 equivalent. Thank goodness they didn't decide to have the Doctor or Companion stand at the top of the stairs and make a big thing of it back in 1988, is all I can say. Yes, thank you, James. I'm suitably chastised. Uh, Paul Carrington's second favourite Who of all time. I wonder what your favourite one is, Paul. Have we done it yet? Uh, If not, write in when you have. Uh, David Gillespie, the pairing of this with the chase on VHS was a bold one. Yes, it was. But 11-year-old David loved them both. Um... James Lark again now back on episode two. Another thing that's really great about this story and I didn't talk about this enough either and I think I should have done I wonder if I was if I was being a bit cowardly because I was talking with some friends about this last night and we were all having a bit of a Kef McCulloch love-in. If you live in Australia, by the way, and are in an old people's home, Kef will play music at yours. That's what he does a lot of now, according to his website. Um... Uh. And I'm actually, I really like Kev McCulloch's music. I'm not a I don't, I'm not a fan of the theme, but I think his incidentals, uh, there's a lot of them, and they're quite loud. But I, I, don't know, I find it really, I find them comforting, and I think his, uh, his score for Remembrance is excellent. And there's a the bit where Uruk comes in. Uh, and the Doctor threatens to smash the machine to pieces in Time in the Rani. It's a fantastic piece of music. So, um, but yes, James is saying the much, the work of the unfairly maligned Kef McCulloch, which plays a huge part in selling this. It has weight and heft and injects a massive dose of adrenaline into the action scenes. I think perhaps the music even sells the re- repeated extermination at the start of the episode. It's also far more, this is episode two when Ace is at the playground, it's also far more daring music than people give it credit for. Kef's Kef heaves the who-synth sound into the late 80s, taking full advantage of the rich new samples available, and he writes with a startlingly bold approach to dissonance, bitonality, and the use of noise, that shriek when sheared cops it. He also takes a truly cinematic approach to scoring, providing a clear sense of location and shape. Look at the way he underscores the cuts between the empty school and the Daleks transmatting in. We take that for granted now, but no other telly in the late 80s was doing this. I get that this sound has dated. I get that it's sometimes intrusive or not entirely well matched to the story. But Remembrance has an excellent mix. And in this story, it seems to me, the composer is perfectly suited to the material. James, I think that's a great advocacy and an informed one. I don't really know much about music. And the, the way you explain there uh, why the music is special in places is very useful. So I hope you don't mind me quoting you there. Um uh, trevor smith loves the story for many reasons not least being pamela salem who looks so hot thanks trevor uh, <laughs> uh do 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 and philip again thinks that the doctor left the hand of omega behind because of ian and barbara and then when he realized the daleks were following him he decided to use that fact to his advantage rather than having left it there deliberately to use on the daleks at a later date yeah yeah um i buy that jim smith i missed this episode on original transmission because of the school celebration of the 1988 olympics he had to get a friend who went to a different school to record it and didn't see it until the weekend not that he's bitter or bears a grudge about this (laughs) oh i know only too well i've got a list of the episodes i had to get people's birthday parties for james Gould talking about episode three says i missed this episode because i'd missed three, I think, hadn't I? I'd missed this episode on first broadcast 2. Doctor had been relegated to Sunday mornings by this stage in its run in New Zealand—sacrilege! And the first two episodes were on at 10:20 a.m., but I hadn't noticed part three moved to 9:35 a.m. I woke up to find I'd missed it. Cheers to the NZ fan club website for listing those broadcast times. Ha ha! I remember asking friends at school on Monday how on earth Ace had survived, and they told me the Doctor came in with this thing. Ha ha! Didn't see it until I got the VHS release, a good four or five years later. Anyway, that spaceship would be my pick for this episode too. I don't know who in the production team even conceived of making an actual spaceship, but it's got to be one of the most impressive effects you'll ever see in the show's history. I wonder if the script just made everyone else raise their game in this one. Everything is so good. Uh, okie dokie, and uh, do, do 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 And I think that is it yes so that is some feedback from remembrance of the daleks from the very lovely and kind people at patreon.com uh, forward slash toby hadoke <laughs> it just trips off my tongue uh, and they're the people whose kind contributions help to keep these releases regular and crucially ad free so thanks to them for Those named and those not. And uh, I think that'll do for a post-credits shindig.